Welcome back to another episode of Sustainalytics Sustainable Finance Solutions Podcast, a monthly roundup of the latest transactions and developments in the sustainable finance space globally. In each episode, we take you through some of the latest news that caught our eye, noteworthy transactions that have hit the market, and cap off with discussing regulatory updates. This roundup is the curated shortlist for a download on what's happening in the sustainable finance space globally, and it may just spark some ideas for future deals and transactions. This episode is hosted by Nick and Aditi, who work in sales and business development across the Asia Pacific. So let's get started. Hi, Nick. Would you like to kick off with some market updates from last month? Absolutely. Many of you have been reaching out. Thanks for the continued support and a big shout out to Melissa Chase from our marketing team who continues to produce this. I think we're on episode 36, so we've nearly clocked up three years in our podcasting careers. But I hope everyone gears up for what hopefully is a super interesting 2023 for sustainable finance. Just to really jump in, so this podcast is really covering a, a large chunk of November and a, and a chunk of December. We've recently just produced also a set piece podcast on mining. So for our listeners who haven't checked that out, please do. We'll integrate more of those into our podcast agenda going forward on different topics to sort of supplement these. But sometimes that means there'll be a little bit of a gap before the a more monthly-ish podcast comes out. So if people are wondering what we're up to. But let's uh, dive in. A little bit old news, but I still think very relevant in terms of, of COP that happened over uh, November. I guess our take on that and flowing it through to sustainable finance Look, speaking to a few people who attended, the comments were that the energy was good, the conversations kept going. It was never really meant to be a big cop in terms of any five-year re-examinations of where people are versus targets and things, but our expectations were certainly raised given the climate crisis and given COP26 last year, which was a major COP with lots of earth-shattering announcements and things. This COP was a bit different. There was a few bits and pieces announced some major items, much more the S of the ESG was discussed, which is great to see that happening a lot more on just transition. And I think we'll see this term come in a bit more climate justice element, developed countries, emerging countries, who bears responsibility and who pays for some of these climate adaptation challenges, which many developed or emerging markets are dealing with. So I think the biggest things that I saw away with, saw from COP27 was really this beyond carbon agenda. So adaptation resilience, S in the ESG, climate justice, and all these type of things. And I guess the landmark issue was the the fund that hopefully developed markets will pay into, and that will be available to support countries on their adaptation issues and when things happen. But but let's see. So that's some of the, um, the highlights there. So nothing really eye-watering or eye-catching in terms of other key headlines, and those were the key sort of themes. Finally, really good to see a separate day at COP focused on gender, focused on water, focused on biodiversity, and even things like blue economy, oceans were woven into the agenda as well. So still some pretty good developments. And I think what we'll see is just a lot more of those themes filter their way into sustainable finance, whether it's just transition, whether it's adaptation, whether it's resilience, whether it's more social, whether it's biodiversity, water, gender, and these other things. There's already a good platform of how those items are filtering into sustainable finance, but probably just more accelerated going forward. In terms of a few other things, G20 was on around the same time in Bali and Indonesia, closer to where we are in the world, or at least I am in Singapore. There was a lot of uh, just transition, one in particular with that Indonesia was sponsoring with a few other markets in terms of hopefully getting some funding from developed markets to put into 
So transition and adaptation programs and plans. So let's see how that goes. And hopefully there's more of these regional structures, financing agendas to help filter more money into where it's needed in different parts of the world, particularly in Asia, as many countries, A, more susceptible to climate change and B, Asia is a much higher carbon intensive region because of its stage of development. Speaking of COPs, COP15 is on as we are recording or has just finished I will talk more about that sort of in January and Feb, but I think a landmark resolution from that is 30 by 30, 30% conservation zones in countries by 2030, I think was a major sort of headline taken away from that, but great to see biodiversity coming much more on the agenda as a second part of the climate crisis that almost self-reinforcing with that with climate change. So look out for some news, news on that. In terms of Bond issuance, I think what we'll see, and, and probably no great surprise for actors and folks in the market, is that this year will be you know, down considerably in terms of volumes, both in the broader market and also for sustained finance. Sustainable finance volumes won't be down as much, but we'll dissect early in the new year what's landed and where. In terms of the outlook, we'll also discuss that probably in subsequent podcasts once we once the dust settles um, on this year to see what, what might be some key topics for next year, many of which were highlighted in, in what I just mentioned on COP. So let's let's hope that the market sort of uh, improves. Still a lot happening in loan markets, still a lot happening around um, corporate services for, for customers, around ESG ratings and low and impact and those type of things. So let's see how that goes. A few articles more about sovereigns needing to show more ambition with ESG bonds or whether that's linked bonds. Again, really good catalysts for the markets in different places. We've seen a number of jurisdictions particularly the FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority in the UK, come out with guidance about how different funds should be labelled as sustainable or otherwise. We'll see if that flows through to any labelling considerations for sustainable finance issuance going forward, but obviously a lot of work getting focused from regulators on you know, ESG ratings, regulation thereof, funds and what a fund can say and what it can't. And then also there'll be, there'll be more on corporate disclosures, I guess, over time as well. So yeah, all good, all good scrutiny to the market to help it develop. In terms of a couple of other articles, social taxonomy, um, obviously we've got it more of the green taxonomy through the EU and other versions globally in ASEAN. Hopefully we can see some more developments on the social side. I think some of the work is taking much longer than expected in the EU, but hopefully next year we can see more sovereign issuance coming. A few articles also about the tokenization of green bonds. I guess that's just an interesting to the extent that maybe it helps some of the reporting going forward, impact measurement, and obviously reducing costs of, of uh, some of the mechanics of bonds. Um, I think Hong Kong was talking about tokenizing or looking to use blockchain um, technology for some of its um, reporting. So keep an eye on that. Another article that I saw, which really has been highlighted in a number of recent seminars and conferences as they've really opened back up physically over the last few months, particularly in Singapore. And these concepts about blended finance, nature for debt swaps, the carbon markets are really heating up. Lots of different types of mechanisms that might help around just tra transition and might help funnel money more to, to where it's needed in, in some difficult situations. So I think we're going to see more of that and we'll talk about an outlook in a subsequent podcast. But more and more articles about these different types of mechanisms, even catastrophe bonds, those sorts of things. I think we're going to start to see sustainable finance move into having a lot more different types of instruments, which are, which are newer to the market. So I think that's a good thing. 
Transition, again, Japan continuing to talk a lot about transition. Also China now, the central bank talking about focus on transition finance. So hopefully next year will be a, a real year of the transition label. A bunch of, or a mixture of articles connected back to SLB. So I think just to sort of summarize what I've noticed, particularly in the news related to SLBs, there's a lot of scrutiny on that part of the market. I guess it's easier to scrutinize SLBs because they're more sort of company-wide targets and the green and use of proceeds markets have generally been more about eligibility, less so on strategy, that that's becoming more important. And then on the link side of the market, everything's much more about obviously materiality, applicability, strategy, robustness. So we've seen ASEAN launch SLB standards, which I think are pretty much based on uh, on ICMA. We've seen articles challenge as to whether scope three should always be in, in SLBs as a KPI rather than just more likely scope one and, and two in many cases. We've seen you know, greenwashing accusations thrown more easily at SLB. So there's been a little bit of a swing back in the market to use of proceeds. Hopefully that change is not because of scrutiny on greenwashing. It's just positive challenges and we'll see both products need to grow. The old sort of chestnut of do we do transition use of proceeds or do we do SLBs, a few articles on that. The robustness of step-ups, whether it be step-ups and coupons for the link bonds is enough, whether it's nuanced enough, lots of different things on the penalties, whether we should see more penalties, higher penalties, whether SLBs are pricing, even one article pricing transition correctly. Um, I'm not sure if they're really meant to do some of these things, but scrutiny generally is a healthy sign because the market's growing fast. And as long as that scrutiny is robust and constructive, hopefully we can all develop the markets up together, which I think is good. So again, lots and lots of news, probably half the headlines I noticed was connected to the linked instruments this month. A little bit on repos, as we mentioned last month, um, ICMA coming out with a, a bit of a paper on sustainable repos, so different types of financial instruments getting connected to sustainable finance, which is good. A few challenges to GFANCE with one of the major banks. I can't remember the name, it slipped my mind opting out of that alliance. So we'll see what these alliances can bring going uh, forward in the race to to net um, net zero and a lot of um, FI is a part of that grouping there. Third security, I noticed a few articles about that. And again, that's a, a social use of proceeds for us and something that's getting highlighted more in the current climate with things like the Ukraine issue highlighting you know, food security as well, not just energy. So I think that's a growing issue. Adaptation, we talked about in the context of COP, but there was lots of articles about that too. Carbon markets, I should say, wowee for carbon carbon markets. A lot of markets developing products. Certainly in Asia, we've seen Singapore as a market. Hong Kong's announced one, Malaysia, the last week or so. So lots happening in that space. We'll see how that can connect back to sustainable finance. I'm not exactly sure. We shall see. PCAF. I can't even remember what that uh, stands, what that actually stands for. Uh, carbon um, project, I think, for carbon accounting for financial institutions um, came out with their second version of those standards. I think that's really the market go-to about how banks can calculate and attribute emissions within the companies they support. There was a section on sovereigns and also a section's offsetting carbon market point for about carbon removal. So do check that out, particularly if you're at a bank punching through your emissions. Some articles of biodiversity and also CBI, our friends there have been um, have been busy as well. There were some principles and hallmarks of transitioning the agri-sector. So again, tying into the food security issue, 
tying into agri, which is underrepresented in sustainable finance, check that out because it's actually a good read. It's something these things easy to gloss over and forget. Yeah, pretty much as we always say, a smorgasbord of news around some familiar topics. And we'll see which ones of those get highlighted, emphasized and accelerated next year. So SLBs, SLLs, linked part of the market. Why don't we start with that, Aditi? What's jumped out to you in terms of recent types? Sure, absolutely. So starting with SLBs, a couple of transactions to highlight here. So within the property sector in Singapore, there was an issuance by Capital Land that issued a sustainability link bond to decarbonize three of their service residents in Southeast Asia. There was an issuance by a company in the sustainable agriculture sector. So this was Agrarius, which is an African firm that issued its first Sharia compliance sustainability link hook, and that got listed on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. And the firm is aiming to sort of increase the proportion of transactions with entities that are certified with a third-party environmental or a social sort of uh, sustainability standard. It also includes purchasing sustainability certified materials from their suppliers. I think that's one of the trends that we are seeing that more and more companies are sort of including their targets to cover more of their supply chains, make them more sustainable, engage more, more with their suppliers. That's the trend that we've seen. Another one to highlight was a French automotive supplier. Uh, this issuer is value in France. And again, their target is also linked to increasing the amount of their purchases from suppliers that are subject to the evaluation of their sustainability development practices. So the trend that I just mentioned, seeing more transactions incorporate those. Other deals on the sustainability link bond side, uh, there was one within the beauty sector by Shiseido in Japan. There was an issuance by a Belgian firm, Yumiko, that manufacturers. Uh, it's a recycling firm and they have circular materials sort of technology. Within the retail sector as well in France, Carrefour raised a sustainability linked bond. One uh, deal connected to the hydro sector in Norway. Uh, this was Norsk Hydro that issued a sustainability linked bond. And finally, in the F&B segment, Bernard Ricard raised a sustainability linked bond worth 1.1 billion euros. The uh, SPO for this transaction was provided by Sustainalytics as published on our website, so do check that out. Now, moving to the other side of the linked market, which is on the loan side. Look, it's been a mix last month, a uh, couple of transactions from different sectors, enormous diversity across the issuers that we see. A few ones to highlight would be issuers like Trip.com, Brambles, which is into pallets and crates and containers manufacturing in Aussie, uh, Aussie firm, Ostasia, New Plan. Chost, which is a truck trailer manufacturing. So diverse sectors really that are doing more transactions within the sustainability link loans market. The trend that I mentioned earlier on the supply chain, we are seeing KPIs related to supply chains on the linked loan side as well. So Tricon Energy, which is a utilities firm, they've taken on a KPI assessing their supplier sustainability ratings. So that's one transaction. The other trend that we're sort of seeing is more to do with ratings as well. So, I mean, we've seen transactions that link KPIs to the ratings. So we are seeing a bit more of those coming up uh, within the sustainability link loan space and also more and more of social KPIs. I think transactions now are increasingly looking to include at least one social KPI. So a few examples to highlight here would be within the property sector, there was a PA housing that recently got a sustainability link loan with one of the KPIs target tied to 
the uh, stronger representation from diverse ethnic backgrounds within their workforce and also supporting their residents into employment a few other transactions with interesting sort of social kpis would be singaporean transaction with a firm called gunvo that got a sustainability linked loan and their kpi is linked to assessment of the group's assets jvs as, a, as well as suppliers on the human rights issue so again supply engagements becoming more prominent within the banking sector there was a turkish bank called isbank that signed a dual tranche sustainability linked loan and their kpi is increasing the ratio of disabled friendly atms to the total number of atms yeah another probably banking transaction to highlight it's good to see that you know financials and banks are sort of leading the way for including more social kpis within their transactions so another one would be another turkish bank called exim bank that secured a loan with a kpi tied to increasing the support of loans or the lendings that they do to women led small and medium sized businesses Another one within the financial sector was an asset management firm. This is a US wealth management platform called Assetmark Financial. So they've taken up KPIs to increase the proportion of diverse new hires, providing ESG trading to advisors that use their platform and also expanding the number of ESG investment strategies that are offered on their platform. So a little bit of, you know, different and diverse KPIs that we are increasingly seeing in the loans market. Yeah, I think that would be pretty much it. Um passing back to you Nick, we can move on to our next segment where we take in questions from our listeners. So we have two questions this month and listeners do remember to write to us at podcast@sustainanalytics.com. So the first one Nick is what is all the fuss about repos for sustainable finance? If you can break that down for us would be great. Good question, but just to wrap up on that previous segment too. I mean, it's we always talk about or somewhat joke about the news as a smorgasbord of diversity in transactions, but I mean that's a real sign. So many different types of flavors, so many different types of sectors, so many different types of structures. It's really, really healthy, I think, for the market. So thanks for working through all of those different uh, different aspects. These very, very interesting uh, developments. Let's dive back into me trying to attempt to answer that. So as I mentioned sort of in the opening remarks of the podcast, I think it must come out with some guidance. There's a whole range of derivatives in the market, some of which banks are structuring as linked or adding a sustainability linked aspect to that. I guess repos, you could probably say, are a more straightforward product. So I think there's just the realisation that as banks and the market wants to integrate more sustainability and generally linked aspects into different types of instruments, it's good to have some sort of standard guidance on that, some sort of market practice on that. So at least whilst we probably would say don't over-regulate the market, at least having some common reference points are really healthy. So on a basic level, say a repo, more of a short-term banking funding instrument, I give I'm a bank and I give another bank, Bank B, a bunch of securities, they give me cash and then I apply that cash to fund some green assets. No reason why that can't be labelled green from even a use of proceeds perspective. Maybe some linked aspects can be put on that, but normally repos have a relatively short short life, so maybe funding use of proceeds based allocations are are a bit easier to look at. Um, and I think something we always look at are, are those assets already on balance sheet, or if the repos are here, are you really fill up the value of that repo with um, allocated to you know use of proceeds based green assets, same. So yeah, I think the fuss is just about the ongoing 
demand to the market to integrate, implement, embed sustainability features within more financial products. Repos is a financial funding mechanism and certainly can be labelled green depending on how you do it. Um, so I think we'll see more of that going forward. And again, I think that's healthy. Anything that channels money into funding green assets, social assets, or putting a link around it to, to highlight sustainability concerns and challenges, like, I think is a healthy thing. So look out for that next year. Maybe we'll see more repos labeled or more repos linked more so than other derivative products as repos are about you know, a definite one side, generally funding late, but probably not always. Thanks, Nick. The other question that we had was, uh, what's the deal with carbon market and implications for sustainable finance? So you mentioned carbon markets earlier in your market updates, but this is specifically focused on the implications. I did. Maybe we should redirect that question and ask it back out to our listeners to figure figure that out. It's a really good good question. And I've actually been thinking that a lot. As I mentioned in the early part of the podcast, what we're sort of saying I think this is part of a broader dynamic we're seeing in the market. Climate to debt swaps, blended finance, PPPs, carbon markets, there's all these different types of structures happening. And I just wonder to the level that some of those will be integrated into the more mainstream types of products added as a feature, added as a structuring element. So that's one part. The second part, more specifically about carbon markets, look, I think funding towards nature-based solutions, I think that has to increase and I think that's a good thing. I think we would always prefer, as most of the market realises, companies should focus on decarbonising their own operations and supply chains first and foremost. Using carbon markets and offsets and things, I think, um, is more of a secondary type thing. So whilst it's a good tool, it's not a solution to decarbonisation, but I think if it helps fund more money in the projects that wouldn't have been done, that have additionality, I think that can only be a, a good thing. I guess what I'm saying is my answer is I don't really know fully, but I think we're going to start to see in the market some different types of financial structures and mechanisms used. And I just wonder to the extent that players in the agri space from start to farm more carbon, so to speak, we'll see maybe more projects kick off that now have a, an offtake much more transparency in the market if they do create credits for something that wasn't there before. So I just get the sense that we're going to see these themes connected to conservation, connected to nature-based solutions, connected to maybe even biodiversity credits coming along as well as biodiversity becomes a hotter topic. So short answer, I don't know fully, but I'm sure we're going to start to see elements of this either funding getting dedicated, putting into some of the more of the project side, and then possibly some elements of this integrated in the structures somehow, but definitely watch this space. I think next year is going to be a big year for carbon markets. But of course, we prefer companies to be dealing with their own decarbonisation directly rather than doing too much separately in these, although there's a lot of projects that maybe can be funded by these types of tools and that can generally be a good thing. All right. So hopefully I've got those questions somewhat of justice through my uh, through my answers, but let's keep, uh, let's keep moving. And Aditi, back to you in terms of green bonds, I guess the market's still not heaving as much as it was earlier in the year or last year, but still a reasonable amount of activity. Do you want to take us through some of the highlights that have jumped out from the different sectors and types of issuers on that traditional use of proceeds, green aspect of the market? Sure. So I think it's there's been a fair bit of activity as we close the year. Uh, so starting with sovereigns, Egypt is working on issuing panda bonds. Singapore is looking to issue some foreign currency green bonds. Japan is looking at transformation bonds. And look, in 
particular for Asia, I think it's been a record-breaking year, surprising as that may sound, but I think the Thailand sustainability bond really helped to secure 2022 as a record-breaking year for sovereign sustainable bond issuance from Asia. So there's been more than $13 billion worth of debt being raised here to date, with Hong Kong leading the way, followed by Indonesia, then Philippines, and then Thailand. So the Asian sovereigns have been busy. Moving to the other continent, Europe, we saw Italy that raised $2 billion worth of green bond. And Hungary, interestingly, is also contemplating issuing green panda bond format. And China is helping uh, Hungary secure these funds by issuing uh, green panda bonds. So does that mean that this market is going to take off? That remains to be seen. Austria actually tapped the short-term debt market. I know you mentioned the, some short-term instruments earlier in your market update. So Austria issued some T-bills earlier and is planning to tap more into the short-dated market. CBI had actually published a paper earlier on these short-term green instruments, which, which our listeners can check out. Other sovereign issuances include New Zealand, Canada, HK tokenized bonds that you mentioned earlier as well, some provinces and cities, so municipal sort of issuances. There were also a lot of issuances from banks and asset management financial companies. So Unicredit, Mediobanca in Italy, Tatra Bank for this. The SPO was provided by Sustainalytics and is published on our website. So you can check that out. Another one that we provided a second party opinion to is Iceland banks that recently raised funds from a green bond auction. And that's published on our website too. Another one would be Bolik Credit. This is again a Norway-based financial company. The second party opinion was provided by Sustainalytics. The other issuances within the banking sector were by CAXA, Arab Bank, IDB, AIB as well. So it's been a busy month for banks. Few development banks like KFW, IFC that issued uh, kangaroo green bonds, so 900 million Audi dollars. What else? IDB, uh, SEB. So yeah, lots of activity there. Then we saw assurances by companies in the utility sector. So firms like Brookfield Renewables, Transpower in New Zealand, Spanish energy firm Iberdola that we've mentioned uh, quite a fair bit in, uh, in our previous podcasts as well, uh, that they keep tapping the market frequently. There were issuances from the auto sector by Volkswagen within the property sector, firms like Boston Properties, a mix of other issuers in sectors like agri, utilities, water, telco, trucks, hospitality, data centers, rail. So, I mean, quite a diverse set of issuers across that have tapped the green green bond market. Moving on to our next segment, which is green loans. Nick, could you take us through a few uh, prominent transactions within the green loans market? Sure, happy to do so. And I guess the, the green loan market, a little bit representative of what the DTs just ran through in terms of yeah, all sorts of things being funded, quite a lot of activity in that sovereign and banking sort of space. But um, on the loan side, some similar themes. So we saw Webesto onto quite a chunky green loan. They're related to the auto sector. So production processes, clean transport. We saw Newcastle um, International Airport, I think in the UK, do a green loan. And obviously aspects of airports can be green as, as they've got a lot to tackle on climate change as well. Banco Sabadell, I've probably said that completely wrong, more in green loan. Uh, format. So FIs are being active across both bonds and loans and funding network um, for sure. The usual suspects in terms of property, Merlin properties, perennial, 
um, signed one of the largest uh, real estate loans over 2.2 billion in Asia. So the, the property sector keeps powering along. A couple of things on renewables. We saw tenant in the Netherlands on the utility side, just renewable energy. We also saw probably the couple of other interesting ones up EDF on the nuclear side of, of things, low carbon um, energy in France, do a, uh, do a green loan to fund their plans. A couple more on the banking side, Cairo, Armand bank sector, a little bit on the uh, climate adaptation side. And the last one to mention was a was a blue loan. Oh, well, let me see blue bonds, but blue loan, similar thing where um, use of proceeds can be connected to maritime water. H2O or H20 Innovation signed a 65 million Canadian facility to support the growth of its um, water treatment and purification projects and all the things they're doing. So again, good to see labels calling out some of these thematics as well to help us navigate who's doing what in the market. So yeah, that's what we've seen on the green use proceeds loan side of things. If we then just jump um, Adizio will just change gears to the, the social bonds and loans. We'll sort of lump all those together again. Less social getting called out by itself, much more in sustainability, which we sort of lump into the green bonds we've gone through before. But just a couple to note, City of Atlanta, and this might be a taster of things to come, use of proceeds, socioeconomic advancement, empowerment, affordable basic infra. We might see some things get connected to some of the energy price prices and, and projects that are happening at, at the moment as more city sort of deal deal with that. Central American Bank for Economic Integration, that's a mouthful, even in uh, relatively plain English. The mixture of social use of proceeds for advancement, empowerment, employment generation, those standard type of things, although much more locally context-based. We also saw Symbiotics, which is one of the major, major microfinance investment vehicles, structuring loans. This one was an INR-denominated Loan of trying to remember exactly what entity it was for, but working with some of their end customers that they deal with. And IFC did a Kiwi and $300 million transaction financing the usual types of use of proceeds, food security, getting it now as well. CADIS, which is a big um, French social agency, um, issued a $5 billion um, social bond. TP Bank, which is Standard worked on in Vietnam, the financing SPs and related types of lending. And then we had a couple more. BFCM in France, employment generation, SMEs. So a little bit more diversified. Not what we're seeing on social is mainly SMEs, microfinance, general affordable housing sort of dominate. This time we've seen more broader categories, particularly in banks issued, which is really good um, to see. And then an Italian agency, Invitalia. Um, I hope I've got the right accent on that. A 350 million social bond, again, financing a bunch of SME related financings, employment generation empowerment by the Italian agencies. You're pretty active on that side of things of the recent period. Great. Thanks, Nick. So that brings us to our last section. Just to wrap up, if you could just cover if there's anything notable related to the label products or transition and then the regulatory updates as well. Yeah, more than happy to, to do so. And as we know, we could probably spend a whole podcast just on one of these topics, but I'll, I'll try and give everyone the next version. So look on the label products. A little bit more of the same with a slightly different flavor. So a lot of the agri type of products getting bantered around by banks. We saw Sweet Bank to offer some sustainable loans to, to farmers. So that's a good development. The World Bank, there was a an article on their website about biodiversity products being developed more. Um, we'll see how that theme 
links to certain programs going forward. We haven't really seen too many products built around biodiversity, but I hope we do. Blended finance with governments taking stakes in things and then catalyzing and bringing in more money. There'll be a, a bunch, and there was something in the Jakarta Post about that. Um, loan partnerships, Fusion Bank and JC Motor. In terms of financing um, electric cars, but made by BYD, the Chinese manufacturer, again, those sort of link-ups will probably see all, which is a good thing. Sustainable deposits, we saw Henkel um, in the Middle East do a little bit more like the sustainable neck loan product on the link deposit side. Not exactly sure what, what payoffs are involved. They're a little bit more in green mortgages and then sort of finishing where we started on this section, BL Agro Group un- unveils an agri-value chain structure to support, and I think this was an Indian retailer website to support farmers. Farmers, sorry. So this whole issue of agri supporting farmers, supporting supply chains as food security becomes a, an enhanced issue, I think is uh, is a good is good development. Changing gears to transition, but not enough specifically labelled transition transactions. But hopefully that changes next year with companies having more assets more reference points in the market, a bit more understanding about what a good transition plan looks like, which is a key aspect of that label coming forward. A couple of things, um, Costco, the shipping company, as opposed to the, the retailer, splashed a whole bunch of cash on some new, some new bills for methanol-powered powered ships. So methanol, one of the alternate fuels, which can be made in a, in a pretty climate-friendly manner. We'll see if that gets a leak, so to speak. A lot more talk in the aviation space about sustainable aviation fuels, who's making them, who is it, how fast they're taking on, who can commit to what in that regard. Hydrogen, still flavour of um, of the month. For very good reason, McKinsey did a good report. Um, there's five charts about the hydrogen market, which is a good read. Climate bonds continue to come out with the power of work, particularly related to steel. There was an updated steel report, which they did check that out on the steel industry. Also, a couple of articles about Australia, where I'm from, which is good to see in Australia, hopefully taking a bigger push on green and a push and transition for things like hydrogen, because Australia being a sunburnt country, this would be a lot of solar power around. And then climate transition, I think much more scrutiny on banks, what they're measuring, how they're changing, what plants they have. I think there's going to be a lot more scrutiny on financiers next year. So get ready for that if you're working at a, at a bank. Last but certainly not least on the regulation side, I think looking out to next year a little bit, we're going to see, it's not a matter of if, it's more when. Regulations come out connected to ESG ratings. So Japan has a consultation paper. Some of the other Asian markets do as well. India's been pretty active in terms of what they'd like to see from a regulatory point of view. And also second-party opinions to be regulated at some stage. Let's see what happens on all of uh, all of those. But scrutiny and those type of developments are uh, and generally a good thing in, in, the, uh, in the market. A couple of things to note. A lot of African-related themes that come out of COP27 about financing. Um, Zambia is in there about guidelines for issuing green bonds. We've seen lots of different um, thematics and the need for more financing into Africa. So hopefully we'll see more activity in that continent next year. India, where you are, Aditi, lots of talk about ongoing net zero plans, about sovereign issuing and, and hopefully creating and sparking more interest in sustainable finance in India, but the, the ecosystem seems to be growing and more interested in labor transactions as a good start, corporate interest that we see as well. 
Blue Economy was in Jakarta firstly a couple of weeks ago, and it was interesting to see some of the Blue Economy type projects coming out of the Central Planning Authority there. So that's great, which can be labelled and simulate some, some further capital in those parts of the market. Singapore continuing to come out with some different things about sustainable bond listing and incentives around that on the SGX. Check that out. Cambodia in the news again about developing some green finance roadmaps, and then Hong Kong around developing some more regional things that they're, that they're doing. And then China, of course, as we've mentioned a couple of times in the podcast already, it's pretty much an incomplete podcast that we don't reference back to China. Huge market, lots of interest in transition, lots of interest in different uh, regulations that they continue to come out with it, support the market. So that'd be a flavor of those things, Aditi. And that's um, pretty much, I think, takes us to the end before my voice officially <laughs> runs out as well. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Nick. All right, folks, that's about all the time we have for today's episode. Links to articles and reports mentioned in this episode can be found on our website. Do also follow us on our LinkedIn and Twitter handle at Sustainalytics and send any questions or feedback our way. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time.